We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining us for this episode is Ted Knudsen, CEO and founder of Statsbomb. Really, really excited to get Ted on. I've been a massive fan of Statsbomb for a long time. It's really, really helped me with their presentations and just the questions they're asking coaches even. Their work is unbelievable. I'm sure everyone is aware of what they do in the football world. The podcast is also absolutely brilliant james york and ted just talking about the role of data every week so i'm I'm a massive fan was really really excited to set this up we did a live webinar with ted uh, i think you're really really going to enjoy this so let me know what you think at gary kareen on instagram at gary kareen on twitter this episode of the modern soccer coach podcast is brought to you by duke dick brand who offer a variety of soccer specific waterproof notebooks planners and accessories for coaches and players Started by two former professional players, Duke Dick Brand strives to create tools that are simple and well designed. Head over to DukeDickBrand.com, D-U-K-T-I-G-B-R-A-N-D and use the code MSC, all caps, for 10% off your order. Perfect as you're beginning to get back on the pitch with your teams. We've worked with Duke Dick Brand for quite a few years, so Tiffany and Adelaide do an unbelievable job. So please go ahead, check them out. Get your supplies in before the season starts for sure. Okay, here is Ted. Enjoy. Yeah, so my first one, and this is what like this, I've been wanting to ask you this here for a long, long time. So whenever Liverpool, and I was at home and I remember the match, Trent Alexander-Arnold had two long-range efforts and Liverpool were flying at the time. And you were pretty vocal on social media about... Yeah, like Liverpool, it's no surprise they're they're flying. If you want to compete with them, and I wrote down your quote, if the Premier League was like North American sports, there would be monster analytics revolution in progress right now. Teams would look at what Liverpool have done, follow the breadcrumbs of how they have done it, and hoover every smart analytical mind into the sky. Can you talk about what Liverpool have managed to create on the data and analytics side of the game and, and what areas that have impacted around the club? Yeah, so I mean, for people that are unfamiliar with it, like the easy place to start is the the New York Times piece from last May uh, when they were in the Champions League final, and it was really the first time that someone had been allowed to peel back the the layer to expose some of the the underpinnings of you know not just the football team, but like what's powering it. And there's so much of that club that has been thoughtfully built. Um, and, and part of it, you know, huge credit to, to Michael Edwards and also to Ian Graham, who's been there for quite a long time now, um, you know, across multiple regimes. They had some some battles with different coaches at the time um, and, and they just ended up being right time after time. And, you know, it got harder to argue with them, I think, at a certain point. But they they took an analytical approach to the game, to recruitment, to style of play. Uh, to adding things to a great coach's style of play, they they you know they went out of their way to hire Jurgen Klopp, and 
and Klopp himself, uh, you know, is is an excellent coach, and he plays a a very useful style of play for them. And I think they felt that way in the Premier League too. But then he's been open enough to add things like set pieces to the repertoire, and he's commented publicly on this was something that you know they thought we should focus on, and also adding a throw-in coach, which you know actually was ridiculed pretty widely at the time. And and the irony is that like I I know I've known Thomas off and on for like I guess five, six years now. And and I had him lined up that summer to work for a League One club. And it is not often that a League One club has the ability to hire the exact same coach that uh, a soon-to-be Champions League winner <laughs> would be able to hire. But the League One club was like, well, I'm not sure that we see the value in it. And then like, you know, two months later, he's, uh, he's you know, working at Liverpool. That was fun. But the, the back to the Liverpool stuff, it's not just about them being smarter, though. It's about them executing on that. And that is the thing that has really set them apart from everybody else in the space. Yes, they are smart. And yes, you need to hire smart people and build the data infrastructure and have like all of the analytical knowledge around it. And it's really just information, right? Like people get scared about data. But like if we can provide coaches better information about what your team is or isn't doing that you want to do and what the opponents are likely to do, then like that's useful to you. And it doesn't have to be scary. And you can often provide it in pictures complemented by video. Um, and they've done a great job of, you know, getting all of that up and down the line and people execute on board. So it's been impressive. The recruitment side of it, obviously, that I think that's what's in mainstream coaching. That's probably the most um, the most visual thing we've seen. Liverpool, big reason for, you know, again, Michael Edwards, what you said. One thing I've always been really fascinated by is like and I've read books on on the data kind of revolution and how the the recruitment side has worked and and obviously being in the game myself the, the one area that I struggle with is is how you look at a player who's maybe in the Japanese third division and his numbers are incredible and and you see something how do you know that that can transfer to the Premier League and impact a, a higher level? So there's a lot of things going on there that people don't necessarily talk about partly because the the people that have expertise are usually, you know, full-time inside of clubs and that's like top secret. And then the other bits are, you know, plenty of people that come to it new don't know the ins and outs of it. Uh, we're kind of like in this, in this phase where a lot of new people got hired in the last sort of 18 months and, and they haven't cycled back into the public side. They don't talk much about their expertise, but um, there are <laughs> first, first thing you want to do is profile the skill set of the player, right? What do they actually do well? Uh, and then you're looking at, okay, does this skill set translate to something that's interesting at a higher level, right? And and your typical League Two center back doesn't necessarily have the the skill set ability to translate to like even Championship, let alone Premier League. Um, but some of them will actually be quite surprisingly good. So you you're looking for what can we quantify that this player does, and then the next thing you're looking at is what is their age. And this is kind of a weird one, but you know. It's, it's something that I think has become more prevalent, especially across the English language. How old the player is right now and what they're doing has an impact on what they're likely to be able to do in the future. And that's like player trajectory. Now, obviously, coaches have an impact on this and style of play has an impact on this. But again, there's so many players in the whole world that you could potentially recruit from. You need to, to narrow it down to the ones that you should be sending scouts to and that are interesting. So those are the two, first two things. What does this player do and what are they doing that is interesting slash elite? What is their skill set? And then how old are they uh, to predict, you know, are they potentially on the up 
or on a decline or like are they kind of peaked out you know and it's different for every player but when you're taking risks and really the transfer market is every single transfer is a wager that says that this is what I think this player is worth right now and hopefully he's he's actually worth more than that <laughs> or he's going to contribute to our team in a way that means that you know we're paying like a good enough price that it's not going to be you know not going to hurt us down the line and you know we could get into all sorts of things like on Everton and stuff like that but nevertheless and then the third thing you're looking at is what is their current uh, level that they're competing at and that also is is a fairly complicated uh, structure because again different leagues have different profiles uh, we just published a piece on stats bomb this week about headers and and how you know the volume of headers per game or per match in all these different leagues including cross women's football and it's one of the first times i think it's ever been published uh in that way like no one has looked at it and last year we looked at like passing and high passes low passes you know footedness that type of stuff and and so you get a different profile of that as well when i was at brentford and Michelin, i was lucky enough to be able to work with some pretty advanced gambling models that also gave us like strong indications as to what the league strength was and what the team strength was inside of those leagues and that helped us uh make equivalencies across leagues that you might not expect like the bundesliga 2 especially was really quite strong um when we were recruiting in like 14 and 15 uh but those leagues you know they vary from time to time and, and the reason why they vary is like you know you take a bunch of the best players out of there and you move them to a different league and suddenly they're not nearly as strong but like that's just economics and stuff so those are the three things that you're looking for to try and get a, a bead on what this player can do right now who they are competing against and what they might be able to do in the future and then the the last component of that is given all this information and our level of certainty about that, like how how risky is this going to be? That's where price comes in. And that's the final bit. So if you're looking at, say, a 19-year-old kid that looks pretty good from a league that is not very good, but he's going to cost you 500000 that might be really quite interesting versus somebody that is 24 years old from a league that you respect, but is going to cost you $12 million. And like, that's the gap between the two. If they have similar profiles, maybe the 19 year old kid might be a little less good or about the same as the other guy, but the price is, is a big deal. That's the final thing that you're looking at. And so that's where like all the finances come into play and how American sports like really, you know, has sort of set the tone on that type of stuff. And we're often just following behind. Mm. I'm fascinated by this. I got to ask you the, and I don't know if you can comment on this. If you can, please do. Let's say that the forward who is maybe getting on a bit, maybe physical, physically starting to drop slightly and maybe is playing a different game style than what they were when they were successful. So like for me, Harry Kane would probably tick all three of those boxes at the minute. I mean, how do you then say, well, is there a, is there a science to saying, listen, he's shot or he's had his best years or is there a way that, is there a different metrical system that you're looking at it? There's a lot of data trending that you incorporate and and Harry's best season was like three years ago, right? Like when he looked amazing. And since that time, he's looked like league average or slightly worse. Like Harry Kane right now, given his financial deal, is probably a liability for them. And and you know, that's that's another thing that you have to take into account when building your squad. And you know, if a new owner comes into a, a football team, like we help them out or other consultancies help them out with saying, this is what this player's performance is right now. This is how many years you're left on his deal. Uh, this is how old he is. And sort of this is the value 
relative of the contract, especially in this league or whatever. Um, but yeah, you have to be really careful about it. Now, there's a flip side to that. Like there are some players that age very gracefully and sometimes they come out of contract or they end up being available for a fairly small fee and are still quite good. And those guys, as long as you can find a, a wage packet that makes sense, can still be really valuable. Like it's not an ageist type thing. It's really just understanding that players will tend to drop off in performance as they age. And you need to take that into account from a financial perspective. Whenever you're looking at, again, recruitment, subjective elements like personality, character, work ethic, is there anything you can get there or do you look at it or is that more down to the manager and the right field when they meet the player? Yeah, so I mean, they very rarely meet, right, before a deal goes through, uh, especially given the volume of deals that happen across um, Europe. Like, Why not? Is that – because that would be – no, no, there's not a sit-down where – like. There are times when like the the director of football will meet the agent and maybe the player's there, maybe they're not. Sometimes it's secret, you know. It's, but it's it's not nearly at the volume that you might expect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes they'll have calls, uh, especially like Zoom calls now. Um, but uh, and then the other element that's there, it's like we try and and at the team level we would continue to try if we were inside of one to get as much information as possible about who they are and how they work and you know are they out late partying. You know, do they like to Netflix and chill? Uh, do they kick puppies? You know, these are all things that, that are important. And and part of it is is listening to coaches and, and coaches telling us, hey, we, you know, we really value the the group dynamic. And like, it's important that we bring on guys that are going to work hard. Uh, and part of it is really just, you know, especially like making sure players take care of themselves. And sometimes that's an educational thing. Like plenty of players around Europe, like are not educated on, uh, diet and sleep and stuff like that. And like, that's a, a change that's happening. And and sometimes it's just, you know, this guy, it, it, being a footballer is hard. Like you got to live like a monk, you know, and, and some guys are up for that and willing to, to defer that for like, you know, performance and competitiveness and money and whatever. And other guys are like, Oh, it's tough. You know, I, I like, I like to party a bit and I understand that from a human perspective, but it certainly impacts your, your ability to perform every week on the pitch. So let's say you're advising a club that has that player who, I mean, the, the kind of the Beckham thing where commercially they can bring you X amount of dollars, but then also they are looking at, hey, this person likes a night out, but of a problem to deal with. What, what would your advice be to a club on that there? Does the does the money outweigh the, the, the hassle, I suppose? Yeah, it depends on your club, right? Like if you've got some some senior leaders that have been around for a good while, like you might be able to take on one of those personalities. You usually don't want multiples of those personalities. Like that's where things start to fly apart. Uh, I mean, you've got Michael Jordan in the background there. And the last dance is like such a good example of that, right? Because like, because Pip and Jordan and Phil were there and they knew they could handle Dennis and they knew Dennis, as long as they got him bought in, you know, he would be super competitive for them. He would fight for them. Like they were willing to be able to do that. But if they hadn't had sort of that level of, of leadership around, then you've got to be more careful about the the personalities of the, the people that you bring in. And the coach. So if it was, that's what, I, I, again, something I'm fascinated by. If it's, if, if you're looking at a club and you're like, oh, I don't really have a lot of confidence in this coach to, to work. Maybe it's, it's Rodman coming into Doug Collins. Do you know? <laughs> Don't do it. Uh, it's something that they have to be aware of. And and sometimes price gets involved. 
but like again, that's a risk factor. And and really, like running a football team is all about risk, right? You're you're worried about getting relegated. Like, are we going to get into the Champions League places, the Europa League places? Are we going to you know cover our wage spend? Do we have to play bonuses? Uh, you know, it's, are we going to sell the players that we need to sell next year to cover our losses? Like everything involved there is actually pretty complicated. Um, and, you know, I, we often don't view it like that, but that's the framework that, that we tend to look at it from because that's the way that we, we were sort of brought up on American sports and now, you know, soccer football. Staying on the subjective side, um, I don't know. Great argument amongst a load of coaches last year at a certain club about bonuses. And someone felt that bonuses would have been the right to try and, you know, get the players engaged a little bit more on maybe personal KPIs or whatever. And someone else felt that, no, they should be, you know, they're getting paid for whatever X amount is enough, blah, blah, blah. I mean, where do you sit when it comes to, to bonuses? Do you think it's it's a positive thing in all of it? Do you think it's a necessity almost at the highest level today? So personal KPIs are a terrible idea. I, terrible. Uh, because they take away from what you want to do, which is the performance of the whole. Hmm. Uh, a lot of the elite clubs have finally started shifting away from like pure baseline pay where everything is guaranteed or personal any sort of incorporation of personal bonuses. Uh, what they are now doing is they tend to uh, have bonuses based on the performance of the team. And part of that is the number of points in the league or the, the league the sort of league bonus package that is involved there. And Germany's been doing this for a long time, right? Like you get sort of a per point bonus uh, for each player. Um, and then the other thing that, that they do, like we incentivized exclusively uh, the teams that I was at was uh, set piece performance. So part of the bonus package is based off of the difference between our attacking set piece goals and our defending set piece goals. And the coaches are based off of that too. Coaches have a, a bonus package involved there as well. And that's because we really cared about it and we wanted players to focus on an area of the game that we thought they might be slightly reluctant to do so. And giving them monetary reasons to focus there was something that we wanted to encourage. Very interesting. That's brilliant. Um, Whenever we go to, or whenever we spoke to Emma Hayes there last week, and this is what we were just saying before, uh, conscious thinking, she talked about the influence of of what Statsbomb had done their environment at Chelsea. Um, when you go in and work with a, a club and a staff, what type of conversations, I suppose, do you have with the coaches with their game models and their analytic? Yeah, so the coach conversations are always interesting because, like, we tend to talk to coaches that are open. And, and ones that are are sort of self-introspective. Like the, the point that they talk to the nerds is usually like they're they're open to, to learning more or having some questions. We get recommended by, by some people uh, who we've worked with in the past or have good relationships with. Um, and, and a lot of the, the early steps, at least from our perspective, depending on what we're, we're you know, brought in to do are twofold. One is what does your game model look like right now? And is that correct in sort of like optimizing? Like, why is that your game model is I think the, the appropriate question there. And that's not a question I think most coaches actually ask very often. Like this is my game model because this is what I learned. Or sometimes this is my game model because you know this is the player set that I have and this is how I think they might be successful. But plenty of times there's not this, this top down question of why. And Emma's group in particular has the ability to change their recruitment, which can then change their game model should they want to bring in different types of players to be able to do stuff. 
Uh, and she's quite thoughtful about stuff and she's always looking for the next edge. Like she's very competitive and driven, um, but I think in a, in a, in a sort of positive way. Um, so that's, that's one big set of questions that we, we often ask at the, the coaching side. The other one is uh, break down the important things that each of these positions do in your game model and tell us like what is absolutely necessary and what is nice to have and what is not that big a deal sort of from, from a player personnel perspective uh, in a positional basis. And the reason why is usually because that helps us then translate that information into statistical uh, information that says that we can go into the data set and we can search for anybody that you want to try and find that fits that profile and to get a little more information to really kind of give us the what they're thinking about a player is we'll say you know tell me five players in the world over the last like five to ten years that epitomize what you want this play this role to do like who would fit sort of perfectly give me four or five of those and that really kind of gets you inside of their head. And then you're like, all right, so what do those players do? Can we find statistically similar players in the current crop of players to then be able to, to you know, give you a list of players that you might be interested in that you can then go on to sign and scout or scout and sign or whatever? Yeah, so it's almost then matching the, the values tactically. Then you connect the, I suppose, it, when you start to look at recruitment, it starts at a, at a dream basis and then goes down to like realistic, then that goes into price availability and all that there. Find me the Lionel Messi of league one. I, I've definitely had that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you talked as well about um, how data should influence coaches you hire and how you should use data to educate your coaches, which I suppose you've just covered there about you know, looking at it a little bit deeper Whenever we're looking then at coach education, certainly today, I mean, it, it's not on courses. It's Everyone talks about the, the missing link being the psychology piece. But when you're on the courses, typically, you know, the, this here, uh, XG, everything, like the game's almost moving too fast now. The coach education and textbooks are, are, are getting overtaken by it. Do you think there should be, I know, modules or weeks where coaches need to learn how to pour through this information? Yeah, I think that you know, we actually have a deal with the English FA and they use some of our tools on their um, A license and pro license. And I think quite literally right now, uh, there's a deal being announced with the Belgian FA uh, of our new deal and our partnership with them as well. Um, so I think that you know some FAs are, are opening up to this and, and realizing that this is kind of the, the next set of steps. And partly, you know, it may be that their coaches at the top were open to it as well. And, and that's why they're doing that. Um, it's a education is always tricky, right? Like there are things that, that should be standard, but I think the game is changing significantly right now. And I, I'm part of that is, I don't want to say it's, our fault, but I think that we certainly have instigated a lot of that since 2013. So we've been around for like seven years. It's not a short period of time. Um, and so what we did was we actually built our own coaching course or, well, I mean, it's called intro to, to football analytics. And so that was one of the ones that we built back in February of 2019. And we could have written a book, but book would have left out the video. And we actually thought the video, especially from a coaching perspective, was the most important part of that. We built a course that expected no priors, like nothing 
You don't need to know stats. You don't need to know analytics. We cover all that from the baseline. And it's like four hours when we teach it in person, it's like maybe five or six because we've got some some working elements that you do in, in groups like you would do in, in most coaching sessions and stuff like that. And and the point here was that we knew that this was coming. And we I've kind of always looked at it. And this is partly based off of my early, early years when I, <laughs> I was arguing with coaches that didn't want to be arguing. Uh, with us because they didn't want anything to do with us. So uh, we, we kind of took the perspective that we were teaching the future. We were teaching the next generations of coaches that, um, you know, this is what we think is important based on the stats, but we also want to learn from you. And, you know, I've, I've kind of talked publicly about Bob Bradley and my interactions with him and Bob's talked about it too. And when he was out of work, like he would ask me, you know, challenging questions and it kind of, kind of occasionally gave me a tough time about, you know, watching games and stuff like that i'm like coach i watch more than anybody like we recruit like we, we watch a ton of football maybe not in the same way though so i think that education is changing i think that you want to sort of create concepts and ideas that are evergreen and actually some of the stuff that we've tried to do in our own stuff was to be able to do that um whether it's hey we think that these styles of play are more likely to be successful than others or uh you know just really cracking the world open on set pieces and and honestly being advocates for a massive amount of change there, which I know we'll get to in a little bit. Um, yeah, that, like, that's been a, a big difference, but something that was not a stats-based thing. It was a, a request from the owner to, to take a whack at this, this problem that he thought might be interesting. And so we did. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. I, I find as well, like mainstream media plays a big role in where coaches and how coaches move. So when we see Pep, sidelines, uh, emotional, clop, uh, and, and coaches kind of gravitate towards that style and the tactical style. But I suppose where I would like to, we never know like what's going on really below the surface. Um, the As a manager today at the top level of Premier League, do you need to be proficient in how you're reading the information so you don't get swamped with too many numbers? Is that or you have to have somebody you trust that mm. does that job. And and I've been advocating for coach analyst roles for a long time. Like basically somebody that kind of understands the quant side of it, but also understands the coaching side of it and is able to communicate both ways. And that's another thing that we, we've seen happen in American sports. You're seeing more analysts become part of coaching staffs, whether that's in baseball or, or basketball. Uh, there's some American football stuff that's like really impressive. I, I, I don't often get my socks knocked off when I have a meeting, but um, I had a, I was in the room at Sloan when a guy that works for American football team was talking to an economist about their game model and how I, what happens on second down, they already know like the outcomes uh, that they will potentially do. And so they're thinking like two and three plays ahead. And these are the, the sets of plays that they'll, they'll run to set things up. It's really kind of impressive and stuff like that. Football's a more dynamic game. But, you know, I would say that, you know, our, our corner setups, like, often are thinking about that as well. You want to have multiples and you want to give them different looks and you want them to be befuddled as much as possible. <laughs> then on the other side there, you talk about the analyst. I mean, like, I, I know I'm, I'm preaching the choir here, but when you're talking to coaches, they can be very, very difficult and set in their ways and difficult group to get through, especially probably at the higher level where their BS radar would be really, really high. So when there's a young analyst trying to trying to instigate or initiate change in the organization, what I know, I know there's a lot listening now who are like looking at moving and ambitions to get in the analysis side. What advice do you go to someone who wants to push the organization, but maybe the structure is a barrier? 
I would say the the best advice that I've heard in that sense is uh, Luke Bourne, who's currently like the VP of um, analytics and strategy at Sacramento Kings. Uh, before that, he was uh, basically head of, of data at AS Roma. And he's a guy that has won so many papers or his lab has won so many papers at Sloan uh, that he's like just genuinely one of the smartest people in the space. So Luke said that when he went into Roma, he knew that he couldn't really influence the coach directly. So he started talking to the people that had influence on the coach. So influence the influencer. And he's like, start conversations with them. You know, hey, what about this? And a lot of it is asking questions. Like, don't push an idea. Like, look for openings to, to ask questions and have conversations. Because what you want to start to build is a level of trust in somebody that can then sort of influence the, the, the coach that's making all the final decisions. And that trust is important. They need to understand that you see the game in a way that makes sense. And that, you know, you're not just throwing ideas out there that you got off the internet that are, you know, unvetted and unfiltered. Um, but once you do that, then maybe you can start to open doors and have further conversations. And, you know, the, the early days of football analytics, like five years ago, like, it was just littered with, hey, learn to talk the game, learn to talk football. And that's true. Like, learn to talk football, but learn to figure out how to get people to trust you and understand that what you're saying, like, has been thoughtful and and well digested and that it's hard for young analysts it's always going to be hard because what you say is true like coaches are often quite set in their ways um but you know if you got a job to do and you're you're trying to find ideas and you gradually you know start to plant the seeds that hey this was correct and this was correct and people are like oh yeah that was a good good insight there like then you can start to to have a little bit of influence and at least have those conversations Two two part question here. Whenever then you're looking at recruiting an analyst for a club, uh, what road do you go down? And then secondly, when you're looking at recruiting an employee for Statsball, what road do you go down? I'll answer the first one first because we're recruiting right now, uh, <laughs> and and we'll be recruiting probably through the rest of the year. Like we've been quite busy growing. Um, Statsbomb tends to be more tech heavy. Like we are a data creation company that provides software for analysts to be able to, to hopefully be more productive and analyze the game better. And we have the best data in the industry uh, on the event side. Like I think that almost anybody that's worked with us would say that. And the reason why we have that is a lot of coach influence. Like we listen to coaches and we improve our stuff based off of their feedback. Hey, Teddy, you don't know that. And like, all right, Bob, like, well, like you're right. We don't know that. Damn it. All right, well, we'll start our own data company. We'll fix that. We'll start to collect that information. And it's had a big impact. So when it's us, though, like we are less involved in the football day to day and we're more involved in sort of trends. And we actually can do like full recruitment. We've done that for some clubs over the over history. We could do like full game reports um, because we have some people inside that have worked both sides of that. They know the data, but they also know football uh, with regard to club level recruitment. It's like you want some level of proof that. And this is why I always tell people to write, like write about what you're thinking so that somebody can look at your information, see how you think. And even if it's not perfect, like, you know, you can get the ideas of logic there. You get the ideas that they see the game and they're not crazy. Uh, like one of the dangers that, that football has is a lot of academics like to use it for research. But so many times that academic research is, is a bit silly. Right? To be honest with you, it just, it just is because they're not grounded in football. So when you're writing, um, and analyzing things like when people are hiring in the football space now, they're looking for some comfort that I can see 
your thought process while things are going on. And it's hugely competitive. It's like crazy competitive because everybody wants to work in football. It's a great game. It's, it's really fun. Um, but yeah, the, so the further that you can get on that pathway to, to giving people material and learning and going through those initial bumps by yourself uh, when they don't have to bring you in and teach you everything. And now you've proven that you've done that. Like that's useful for, for your career, to be honest. Whenever you were at the Leicester event, um, Sarah Rudd was, was doing a presentation and it looked as if you guys worked together in the past. And I wanted to ask you what, what makes, I mean, what sets someone apart from good to great at, at your level? Um, Sarah's super. Uh, Sarah, Sarah predates me. She's, she's OG. Um, seriously, like she was, she's got a presentation on Markov models from, I think, an old Nessus in like 2011. And that got her hired by StatTNA, which then got acquired by, by Arsenal. Um, but yeah, Sarah, Sarah and also her husband, who's Robbie Remineni, uh, used to be at Arsenal or used to be at Microsoft and now is the head of analytics at Seattle. Um, and Robbie knows a lot about the sports science side as well. And, and so like they've got, you know, a history of, of knowledge and wisdom there that, that's great. Um, I think some of these things sound trite, but like intellectual curiosity is a really big thing, right? Like, and we approach from the perspective of, in an absolute sense, we don't know that much about football, like about what is best in anything. Cause like, we're very much at the beginning of the data age. And so right now there are all of these questions that we would like to find out information. And sometimes it's just because nobody's asked uh, or done the research. And sometimes it's because there isn't the data to be able to do that. Uh, can we fix that? Can we correct that? What do we need in order to run that sort of experiment or analysis? So that intellectual curiosity thing and, and always wanting to learn more is, is a huge thing and it, it will power you. Um, the other thing is like, you know, pretty well-grounded methodology, like which, which ideas are bad, which ideas, you know, have flaws inside of them. So there's this concept in, uh, in like the, the analytic sphere that you could have this exchange rate of goals from one league to another. I think at one point they had like Albania to the Dutch league. And I was like, how many guys have moved from the Albanian league to the Dutch league? And like, you know, what are your error bars on this? This is, this is kind of ridiculous, you know? And, and, and even Denmark, which has like, you know, guys that come into different leagues, like it's a, it's a nice concept to talk about from a media perspective, but you know, when you're a person that has to rely on this and go into a coach's office or a director of football's office, and you're saying that this is my analysis because you got to be a little careful about, Hey, this is a gimmicky thing that somebody's using as a marketing ploy versus this is something that, yeah, I will absolutely stake my reputation and we should spend 25 billion on this player. And, and that sense of credibility and methodology element is, is a pretty big separating person from the people at the very top level versus the people that are just kind of in football and around football right now. All right. Set pieces. What a topic. Um, <laughs> so th there's obviously been a big, big push in the community to optimize. And now it, again, it's gone mainstream and um, Thomas's work has helped and uh, Meadowland has helped, but do you still think it's an underutilized tactic? Um, do you mean three time Danish champion Midland? Is that, is that what I heard from you? <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Un unequivocally, yes. Um, people are starting to focus on it, and I'm going to tell you tell this from my background. Um, so, for those of you that don't know my story, uh, the first project that I worked on when Matthew Benham hired me 
for Brentford and Michelland was I thought I was going in to do statistical recruitment and player analysis. And what I actually ended up doing was looking for edges in addition to statistical recruitment and player analysis and scouting, uh, looking for edges in football teams, right? How do we find little edges all over the place where we can get better? And Matthew thought that set pieces were undervalued. And part of that was because he had seen some of the stories on Gianni Vio, who was a longtime coach in Syria D, uh, as like in, the, in Italy, and then eventually ended up meeting, I think, I can't remember if it was Walter Zenga, I think he was uh, involved with, and then Montella was the one where the story started. And his team there, uh, that Fiorentina team, scored 26 goals off of set pieces in 38 games, which is a lot. Like the average team scores about 0.3, uh, maybe maybe 0.35. So if you're scoring that many per game, that's that's a big difference. Um, and then the elite teams, like uh, also Atletico Madrid, 14, 15, et cetera. So Matthew's, Matthew's perspective was, hey, there are teams out there that are executing really well. Can we figure out, are there best practices? And how do we go about you know, executing set pieces better? Because if we get like five extra goals a, a year, that's amazing, right? And the difference between a 10-goal striker and a 15-goal striker is actually a pretty massive amount in the transfer market. Well, what can... Can we create that off of coaching elements? So my first project was I spent six weeks like looking at all this video and then writing up sort of the, the sort of set piece playbook is kind of what we called it, but it was like a, a list of best practices. And then Mitchelland used that and they scored three goals in every four games, so 0.75 a game off of set pieces alone. And that drove them to their first title. And they've been remarkably good at repeating that type of performance. Um, so those were the early years. And then I came out and I worked a little bit with Roger Schmidt uh, at Leverkusen um, and then kind of just did some stuff consulting on, on our own. And then we, we put together a course uh, around the same time we did our introduction course, which was teaching set pieces to coaches. And this is a coaching based thing. This is not analysis. We use analysis. We use a lot of data to, to help us figure out which guys are less good in the air or you know, can we start to profile what they tend to do more or less often. But it's really a coaching-based thing. So we put together like a six-hour course that gives you all the best practices from corners and uh, free kicks, both wide and direct, uh, and then some throw-in stuff. And I think throw-ins is the area where the game is is most breakable right now. Like there are, what's different about a throw-in than a corner? A throw-in, you're normally trying to keep possession. A corner, you're trying to score. Okay. Now think of a long throw. What's different about a long throw versus a corner? You need a specialist long thrower. You need a specialist corner taker too. Not enough people have those. Yeah, yeah. But there are a couple of things that we look at. So how do how do throw-ins break the game is always a question that I ask. And the, and the first question, the first answer is, well, you get to use your hands. Sure, fine. And you don't, you're not offside. You can't be offside in a throw-in. Well, that actually breaks the game, like not allowing people to be offside. Um, and then from a long throw versus a corner, the thing that's different there is when you take a corner, the corner taker's head has to go down in order to strike the ball. When you throw something, your head's up the entire time. And so you actually get to scan the, the pitch and look for who's open and stuff like that. And that's like just the tiniest little bit about how people have not thought about this and how we have been encouraging people to start doing so. And, and the fact of the matter is like throw-ins are restarts. And if you start to break the game into restarts, what can we do to get a little bit of extra advantage off of restarts? It becomes a really compelling thing because you see how often you are technically restarting play.
Um, so yeah, like we put that together and, and <laughs> when I look at it right now, um, we taught that course or I taught that course in April. We had about a hundred people, uh, attend via webinar and about 70 of those were in professional football, uh, including half the premier league. So we had, we had half the premier league uh, have send co coaches to our course effectively. Um, so yeah, I think that it's not just me that has this idea. I think football realizes that they've got a lot to learn in this space and the, the sharp coaches are, are willing to, to invest in trying to catch up. When you're looking at Meatland then, and, uh, you, can, you might not be able to give us the answer to this, but it, with these teams that are excelling set pieces, talk about the delivery there, like the delivery, in my eyes, the delivery is so, so important. If you don't have the delivery available, is it worth someone going out and working on that every single day? Is that happening at that level? Yeah. So uh, very early on with Brentford and Michelin, we had a guy named Bartek uh, who was a ball striking coach. And his job was to, to teach people to strike the ball more true, more accurately. And he's really good at it. Like, lovely guy and you know, uses slow motion video. Um, there are different ways to, to learn how to do that. But that type of technique is hugely valuable. And it's not just for set pieces. It's also for, say, defensive midfielders or center backs that need to learn how to drive the ball true and accurately out to the wings, right? And we had a guy named Johan Barbe, who when he first showed up, he was a little bit injured as a center back. He worked with, uh, with Bartek. And yeah, he just dramatically improved Johan's ability to, to get the ball out to the wings. And he, he started hitting these beautiful flighted balls, you know, 50, 60 yards to our wide forwards who were then able to run. And, you know, that's a line breaking pass that is possibly a little more difficult than you would often see. But Virgil van Dijk does that too, right? Like Virgil Virg is able to hit it wide to Salah, especially out to the right. You see that that's a big part of his game. So if you're looking to create players that are able to succeed at the elite level, that little element of technique is probably as valuable as teaching guys how to dribble really well. Yeah, seeing it uh, even this week, I saw two clips from goalkeeper. Well, one was Ederson, and he's this ball that not a lot of goalkeepers can hit that ball. Like it's almost a, a two iron or a three yeah. iron. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but all right, so Lampard's comment about the, the height and Chelsea conceding goals because all their teams are taller. I mean, is there anything to that? Surely not. I would say that Derby were just as bad at defending set pieces last year. And and I did the analysis on this, so I had to check it first. But uh, yeah, I, I was like, hmm, I'm pretty sure that Chelsea problem is systemic, but I'll, I'll check. And so I went back to look at Derby and Derby were one of the bottom five teams in the championship last year, also at defending set pieces. It might be that Derby were also short, but you know, there's a common thread in that and it is certainly not the personnel, at least not on the pitch. <laughs> um, if you know, again, go back to the coach recruitment. Is that something that that you would say? All right, well, this is a this is. I mean, I'm fascinated by how we're starting to look now and what makes a good coach and what doesn't at the highest level. Is is set piece production something that's being calculated and measured at these clubs? We do it. Um, it's funny, like coach recruitment is, is way more backwards than player recruitment. Now, like teams will spend a lot of money on player recruitment. They don't necessarily spend money on finding like, uh, places that are good for their outbound players to go. Uh, some will spend money, uh, and hire personnel to look at low knees, uh, and the loan pathways, but there are like, this is a big rabbit hole and you can go pretty deep down it, but often coaches, coaching hires are like network hires. Like who do we know that might be pretty good? 
and and you know the owner level ones they've got some ideas of guys that they saw that they liked sometimes who were stylish on the on the touchline or you know seemed to be successful um but what often doesn't get profiled is, is sort of strengths and weaknesses in in coaching elements and style of play and it's not always a direct line like you know we would hire a set piece coach so that doesn't mean that the head coach necessarily knows how to do that uh but you can supplement them and this is another area where coaches get sniffy about and they need to not be this way because the the future is going to change it you don't have to know everything all right like uh, coaching is an impossible job like you need to teach you need to do man management you need to communicate often across languages so find ways to communicate with players that speak a language that you don't necessarily have any any fluency in you also need to deal with the press you need to work with sports science people you need to work with medical and you need to be a leader right and and then on top of all that you still have to find a game plan that you know week to week is is successful and all of these things are are enormous complications so don't be worried about being successful and knowing every single thing. What you need to do as a head coach is be open to the possibility there are experts in other areas that can help supplement you. And this is true from certain phases of play. And we've seen some coaches, uh, coaching groups in like federations. England, I think, had an uh, in-possession and out-of-possession coaches that they worked with their youth teams with, right? And so like that's that's one element. America, you know, you go to the American football and they've got like, 10 coaches, <laughs> 10 coaches on staff to do little elements. Um, same number of people on the pitch, but slightly different structure there. So the, the point here is that we started to profile coach strengths and weaknesses, uh, both as a style of play and what they're able to, to execute in different phases uh, tactically. And then we, we put all that together and then we say, you know, this is kind of what their budget looked like. This is how they performed based on what they might have been expected to do with that budget. Uh, are they bringing young players through? You know, if you've if you've got a good academy and you want to see players that get through the to the first team, you need to not hire a, a head coach who only wants veterans. Uh, and and on the other hand, if you've got a mature team and you're not too worried about that, or your academy is not that good, like that means you've got a different set of requirements. And this is the thing: like we're not looking for every coach who has the perfect style. We're looking for the right coach at the right place. And, and that's the, the gap. You know, if you go into Middlesbrough after Tony Pulis has been there, like you've got a big lumpy style and it's probably going to change you, take you like three years, like probably three full years in order to transition to something different. So, you know, don't have the high pressing guys, you know, that has a bunch of six, four lugs in the back, like trying to, to play that style. Like that's a, that's a risk to you. And all these things come together into the melange of a football club. And many of them are never even thought about unless you bring in some, some nerds from the outside, they're like, well, maybe we should think about this. You've always been very opinionated. I don't know if you still are, but you were in the past about Sean Dyche and how you know he's probably underrated because of the perception of his type of football. Are you, do you still feel the same way? Yeah, so Dyche, Dyche is interesting. I, I, I like the like – Dyche is a, a big character, and it's kind of fun to, to pick at some stuff. But I think the – you know, Dice's defending is is really quite good, and he's got some some good ideas as well. And they've been good at set pieces forever. Um, but his his defending is not just basic low block. It's not like old school low block. It is harrying and and pressing whenever the opponents sort of get into that half of the pitch. And I think that people often didn't recognize that that much. And also, Sean's style like tends to, for a long time at, at least, the old school expected goals models he would spoof that like they did they had things in their style that the models would not pick up on 
And so they would outperform that. And people just kept thinking that he would regress. And I'm like, you know, if you never regress for like five years, like maybe there's something to this. And Lucien Favre is the other, the other sort of coach that's a classic example of this. Like Favre's style has some things that the models don't fully understand, or he coaches players to do certain things that give them a better chance of scoring or not giving up goals uh, because of it. And and so like a lot of that comes back to realizing the weaknesses in the data and the models that they don't know everything. But where we were when we started football was that like the pundits especially were so bad that you know the the models were like way better than what the pundits thought, but can't necessarily reflect everything that is complicated about football. Gary Neville, I'm doing some writing at the minute, and I, I think Gary Neville's been a big catalyst. Like I think Monday Night Football has brought that forward where someone's he's not getting all that. Someone's in his ear, obviously telling him these are the trends that are happening in the data world. Um, is that happening now? Or have you seen that there where now Sky Sports are now hiring people or media companies are hiring people? Yeah, I think that some of them have had people behind the scenes for a while uh, and and able to be helpful if they were called on. But they they needed like the right venue to be able to show that information. And Sky's, you know, Sky's very careful. They tend to be a little conservative. They don't want to they, they want to have PR, but they want to do it in the right way. I think Kara is actually pretty smart too. Like both Carragher and, and Neville um, are quite bright in that way. Um, sometimes I don't think that they necessarily set them up in the best way. Like there was one Monday Night Football where like Kara is literally circling numbers on a, on a telestrator. Like, come on, guys. Like just there's a visualization you could use for this. This is much better. Um, but like they are so willing. And that willingness to talk about this type of stuff on the air is significant because most old players are not. And they like, yeah, try and get Graham Sooners to do that. Like, you know, you, you can think about how well that conversation would go, right? Roy King. You don't have that conversation with Roy. Like that, like, if you value your life and your well-being, like just skip that one. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, last couple for you. Whenever your thoughts on, on I mean, talk about American sports and the, and the data and the growth of MLS, I suppose, commercially. Do, do you keep an eye on how we're talked about Bob Bradley there? Is there innovations here that MLS are getting closer on the data side? Yeah. Um, so the the last two teams that regularly appear in the in the final, like our big data pro, uh, users, like Devin Pluler is the director of analytics up at Toronto and has been Another OG in the scene, like used to work for Opta back in the day. His central winger co column was always really good and really insightful. Um, and then Robbie's group at Seattle. And then there's that that LA team that, oh my God, like last year. Wow. Uh, and I, I don't know if like many people know this, but they were our first customers. Like before they before they had a football team, uh, they came to us and we started talking to them about, you know, how would you do this? And it's such a cool problem. And it, it, it only exists in America. Like, how do you build a football team from scratch or a soccer team from scratch? Like, that doesn't exist anywhere else in Europe, but it exists there. And, uh, you know, Will Kuntz is there, and, and he's been absolutely amazing to work with. Uh, one of their owners is a guy named Mitch Lasky, and he's been around the, the sort of analytics scene forever and loves it. And he was always appearing at Sloan and occasionally covering bar bills. Love you, Mitch. Um, and... Uh, and it's like Thorington there as well. And Bob, to some extent, you know, kind of opened up and was willing to do this. And there's another guy named Max Odenheimer that is one of their their primary sort of stats analysts. So anyway, they they combined all of that and did the whole pipeline, like from, from recruitment on up. And uh, that season last year was absolutely amazing to watch. And they built the 
one of the best stadium atmospheres you'll ever find. So like if you get a chance to go to a football match or soccer match sometime soon at that LA stadium, like definitely do so. It is really fun. So there are teams at the top that are listening pretty closely and, and very committed to this. And it's been great to watch it, like honestly. And you know, I think that the national teams also are, are quite strongly committed to it. I know Tyler traveled with the uh, Tyler Heaps uh, traveled with the women last year at the World Cup, and they certainly you know play a style that we like and focus on set pieces like we like. And it helps to have amazing talent, but they're certainly supplemented with some some smart people around the building. What about Bob? Then is is he someone that you said there? I suppose a personality that knows what they don't know, or is Bob so sharp that he's in the middle of it? What's his managerial style when it comes to data? I, I think Bob is is a guy that has really been open to journeys throughout his career, and that that includes international journeys and coaching journeys and and sort of personal journeys. And so he he will argue and and you know, the pretty gruff way, like he doesn't always just accept things that are new to him, but. He will often chew on it and come back around to it and be like, yeah, I might be a little bit open to that. Um, yeah, I, I, Bob is fun. I, I do enjoy talking with Bob, but he's also like not young, too. So that's credit to him. Most coaches that age would have no interest in, in this type of stuff. But because Bob is a, an ongoing learner, I think that he has he has consistently started to engage with that over the last sort of I mean, I, first time I talked to him, I think, was 2015, like maybe in, in May or something like that. So quite a long time ago. Yeah, they don't get uh, anywhere near the respect they deserve for what they've done in LA. Like, it's one of the teams I always watch. I'm a United fan. I'd rather watch LAFC than Manchester United. Although not, not right now. All right, right now, Manchester United are fun again. I watched them last night. Um, I mean, what's the what's the difference? And you say, what do the numbers tell you? Uh yeah, I mean they're they're running a bit hot on the numbers. Like they are not as good as these results. Uh, partly because the penalties have been. Yeah, <laughs> it, it does help to earn twice as many penalties as anybody else in the league. I don't know why that's happening, but it's certainly something to keep an eye on. But also, like you know, they're they're able to attack now. Uh, from the beginning of the year, Solskjaer like focused on defense. They've been good defensively pretty much all year long. It was adding that element of attack and being able to go forward and the combination of maturing. Uh, you know, Martial and Rashford bring Pogba back to the fold, uh, Bruno, and then seeing Mason Greenwood sort of start to light up the screen. It's been really impressive. Harry Maguire, his ability to play forward and to midfield players, is there anything in that there that you like? Is again, value of a pass or when you go backwards and seems the reverse engineer and assist to this, to this, like Maguire, uh, Again, just from my eye, looks to be really, really efficient. That he doesn't pick the easy ball to the fullback. He looks to do something a bit more difficult. Yeah, I think that, that you know there's something in that, and that's certainly something they probably scouted him for. Um, and then you know, but you still have to have midfielders that are able to to move forward, and that has been the missing link, uh, almost literally, uh, <laughs> that United lacked for most of the season. I remember you did a talk with uh, Daryl Morley at a, I think it was the slow one. You were on the stage with him and, and he couldn't get over the fact that this whole, like, why would you not just play your best players? And it's, it's almost a soccer thing where the, the player has an attitude and the coach sits them down. Is there anything you look at coach soccer coaching and you're like, you, you guys completely overvalue, like, are we too disciplined? Do we, you know, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, 
there are recruitment departments that we respect out there that buy players that then their coaches don't play or they play like the the wrong style for those players. And then once those coaches change and you see someone brought in who will play that style or will play those players, you often see results improve. Um, you know, like I think that Tottenham actually did a pretty good job this summer of getting some good midfielders, but like they don't seem to always get on the pitch and there's, you know, friction behind the scenes and, you know, Dombele who's, a record signing like now looks like it might be on the way out because Jose Mourinho won't actually put him on the pitch and they don't agree. And that's a big problem. And, you know, I know that there needs to be discipline and like, this is not, we're not talking about a vacuum. Like this is important stuff. We talked the whole time about how this is important stuff, but there comes a point at which like you have these really game chasing players. Like you need to find ways to keep them on the pitch a lot (laughs) and and make sure that they get time to play and, and also time to mature sometimes, you know, like they, Yes, you don't want them to make mistakes, but you have to understand that most of the time these are young guys and they're still learning times and there are teaching moments. And, you know, I'm sure that you probably had those when you were young, too. So you got to have some give and take in all that and recognize that you are teaching and they are learning. And sometimes learning is a little bit painful. OK, brilliant. Last one for you. The Again, there's really a lot of coaches on here who see data and the words even data analytics see the visuals and be like oh i'd love to have that there but i don't have x amount of dollars in my budget or i mean what's your advice on a limitations financially and then b starting points for for building this with a club so the the thing there's a lot to parse here and i, I apologize if we we have a long answer here but first uh, of all go for it it's not as expensive as people think right like if you wanted to have like a really good analytics department, you can look at probably like 12K a week, right? And that's that's like half of the average pay for a championship team. Like that's that's elite. That's not like, you know, okay. Like that is a really high level team. And that's what you're looking at. And the Premier League, it's, it's less than the third string goalkeeper makes per week. So it's not nearly as expensive as people think it, it is to have one of the best. Um, in addition, like we work with teams down in League Two. And the way that they they use our data and our software is... Basically, they we had a team come to us and they're like, well, we were going to hire another analyst, but for basically the same price as that analyst, we could have our the rest of our analysts use your software and the data and you save us so much time and give us insight that's already there that it makes everybody more productive. And and that was and it's true for the coaches, too. Like, you you know, it depends on what your staff looks like. But but that was the way that they looked at it. And they've been pretty excited about it since that time. So, you know, first of all, it's not crazy expensive. And second of all, like even some of the the tiny teams in England are able to to take advantage of this. Uh, at some point, I think in the next couple of years, we'll look to to come to like you know the college teams and maybe even further down in the U.S. and be like, hey, you know, if you send us your video, we'll code it up. You can use all the same data that the pros are on, and uh, and you can start to open up this information and give the feedback to your your kids and teach them in a data driven way. So like that's something that we're looking at doing <coughs> over the next couple of years as a stats bomb thing. But the the last thing that I would say about this is, you know, if you're not anywhere there or near there, um, just execute the the basics that the the analytics guys teach you, like you know, style of play type stuff in the attack. Through balls are really good. Shooting closer to the goal is really good. Crosses are fairly inefficient. Like headers are hard, really hard, actually, surprisingly hard. Nobody believes that. Um, and, and like that's like the start, the basis. Like you don't have to. To, to, to pay half a million a year to have like a bunch of geniuses tell you this stuff. Like you can take the research that's already out there in public and just begin to apply it to your team. And typically, and I've seen this across like, you know, 
Australia and the US and, and Europe, they're like, oh, wow, we've, we've actually seen some nice upticks. You know, we've, we've gotten better because we're doing these things. I'm like, yeah, there are better ways to play football. Like there's not one way to play football, but there are certainly better ways. And so just applying that to your team should be helpful. Hundreds of coaches on uh, on Twitter are uh, fascinated with set pieces. So I suppose the last one, how do they take the set pieces course? Where do they find it? Uh, so I teach it pretty rarely. <laughs> um, I think I taught it three times last year. I taught it one time this year. Uh, I may teach it one more time. I follow Stats Bomb social media to find out. Uh, the introduction course is up all the time. And we actually have a, a player evaluation course that's coming in, I think, August that will be kind of full-time as well. So it'll teach you how we look at players, what we look at strengths and weaknesses. Um, so all of that will be there. Uh, we will also probably do set pieces in Spanish coming up. So if you have coaches that Espanol, like we, our intro course has already been translated to Spanish. It's it's all in Spanish language. It's not just subtitles. Uh, so that's there. And we'll probably do at least one more set of pieces this year. And we'll do an Espanol probably this year. We may go to other languages in the future. Uh, I know that it's a, a thing that people are are behind on and they're they're sort of waking up to this. And I'm committed to doing it once in a while. But there's also this thing that says it's super crazy valuable. And the people that have believed in this before and took the course, you know, maybe they should have a little time to, to have an edge and execute it themselves without, uh, you know, having to compete with all you idiots. <laughs> first class. Ted, thank you so much. On it. First of all, thank you for, uh, for coming on here. I was really excited to get you all. I also want to thank you for the accessibility of your articles and the accessibility of the conference, the, the lectures, the presentations. Uh, it's an inspiration for not free content, but in terms of like to get access to it has been absolutely fantastic. So I appreciate everything you share. It makes a big, big difference and it, it gets us all thinking. So keep up the great work and thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me on. These are great questions and it's fun to, to talk about the coaching side of things because I think about it a lot, even if uh, you know you don't necessarily see it come out of our stuff. Uh, statsbomb.com, you need anything from us, let us know. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.